welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 12, Trick. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And this episode is the third in our series about the main characters of Lost Girl, and we're talking about Trick. And today, our guest contributor is Sally. She is S. Heaven on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us, Sally. Thanks for inviting me. Since we were talking about Trick, the Blood King, our drink special for this week is a bloody beer. It's also known as a michelada. Please pardon my gringa accent. It's kind of like a Bloody Mary made with beer. Some people just use Bloody Mary mix to make them, but I have a fancy recipe for them that I will post in the show notes for this episode, episode 12, over at drinksatthedoll.com. So Trick is probably the most mysterious character on Lost Girl, which is saying a lot because so many of the characters keep their cards pretty close to the vest, but you know how much Trick likes his vests. And so we thought a good way to talk about Trick would be to discuss the many unanswered questions we have about him, which means we're going to do a lot more speculating in this episode than we have been. Let's start with his name. His full name is Fitzpatrick McCorrigan. And it's curious that his first name is Fitzpatrick, because that's usually a last name. The prefix Fitz, again, like you said, Stephanie, is usually associated with a last name, and it means son of. So if this were Trick's last name, it would mean son of Patrick. And it might still mean that. I don't know if, what, if we know anything at all about Trick's father. We don't have any information about it. But... Another usage of Fitz was that it was applied to illegitimate sons of kings, and it was a way for the kings to designate that their illegitimate male offspring, uh, I guess to sort of claim them in a way, but also to make the distinction that they weren't their legal heir. But it's Trick's first name, so it's interesting. I don't know if there's a deeper meaning to why. What I think is interesting because like you said, Fitz was used to indicate the illegitimate sons of kings. And Henry VIII actually did that. He had an illegitimate son whom he named Henry Fitzroy. And Henry VIII even bestowed titles on him. And some people speculated at that time that had Henry Fitzroy outlived Henry VIII's son Edward, that he would have been named king. So it's interesting to think that maybe Trick might have been the illegitimate son of a ruler who became king. I'm kind of wondering if Fitzpatrick maybe originally was his last name, and perhaps when he stepped down as Blood King, he moved it to his first name and adopted this last name of McGorrigan to kind of fit in and no longer be recognizable as the Blood King. Huh, maybe it's an alias. I never thought of that. You have to think of how many times Faye would have to reinvent themselves to stay hidden in the human world because they live for hundreds of years. So how many aliases do they have? You see Bo having herself having aliases at the beginning of the series, even before she even realizes she's Faye because she's on the lamb. And, you know, how many times has Dyson had to reinvent himself with his past just to stay hidden? So they're very good at deception and trickery, haha, pun intended. Uh, but I think Trick would be the master of that. Yeah, because you, you, ha you have Faye who have to hide the, their identity from humans, but then Trick, we've learned, is actually kind of hiding his identity from Faye. Like, he has to out himself as the Blood King to the Ash. This is not something he goes around sharing. So in addition to him having kind of a last name for a first name and 
maybe suggesting his his father's name was Patrick, he goes by the name Trick, which is not sort of a usual diminutive or nickname that you might come out of of Fitzpatrick. You would think maybe he'd go by Patrick or Pat or Patty. So it's interesting that he chose Trick. Obviously, in on the show, Trick chose what people call him. But if we go, I guess it's either up or down a layer. The writers of the show chose for Trick to be called Trick instead of Patrick or Patty. I think that implies, I mean, I think language is very deliberate, I think, especially on a show like Lost Girl. You know, every word and every name is chosen carefully and probably carries a deeper meaning. And trick can mean two things. It can mean a deception, like for fun, um, like a prank. But it can also mean, I think there's a darker interpretation of the word deception. And we've seen from trick throughout the entire show that his motivations are not always black and white, and he's motivated by what seems like the greater good, but there are certainly times when he appears to make either hard decisions or decisions that would have negative consequences for people that uh, he cares about. And so, you know, I think that on its surface, Trick seems like a fun moniker meant to help disguise his identity. It's even a pun and an in-joke, but it also implies a deeper deception, which obviously hiding his identity is a big deception. Well, I agree. I think when I first heard the name Trick, I thought, oh, that's kind of funny and kind of a pun and interesting. And just, I think it kind of fits with the genre almost. I mean, in the world of Lost Girl, how many, well, except for Dr. Bob, the cat, how many Bobs or Joes do you see? You just don't see common names. Like, this is Henry, the powerful fae that does, shoots lightning from his fingers. You know, it's like every name, as you said, does have a meaning and is just unusual. You know, usually names just kind of makes you go, huh, what's that all about? And I think if if Trick is kind of on the on the down low trying to hide out in in the doll and disguise the fact that he's the Blood King, this this name of of Trick kind of helps him blend in in a bit. You know, he's kind of he's you know it's just a fun loving guy. He's Trick. He's the nice bartender guy. So I think it kind of helps make him seem harmless if he's trying to make people unaware of the fact that he used to have this really powerful position in the Fae. I think we've seen in flashbacks that when Trick was actively ruling, that he looked pretty much the same as he does now, except for how he was dressed. And so, you know, I wonder how he's been able to conceal his identity, given that most of the Fae are so old. Yeah, I was watching in an interview that Rick Howland did talking about Trick to get ready for this episode, and he mentioned Trick is 2,000 years old, and I hadn't I don't remember them saying that specifically on the show. Maybe they did, but I don't think I realized he was supposed to be quite that old. Trick is a blood sage. What he writes in his own blood comes to pass. It's a nifty little skill there, Trickster. Not really. Nothing that powerful comes without a price, as I've learned. So getting into Trick as and his Blood Sage abilities, I, I definitely have a lot of questions in regards to those, both sort of how they work and, and when he has used them. So I, I think one of my big questions is, what are some times over these many centuries that Trick has been tempted to write in his blood? Because they suggest 
the end of season one that the last time Trick had written in his blood, actually they suggest this at the beginning of season two, that the last time that Trick had written in his blood was to write the laws and to end the war, which clearly from the flashbacks we see was a very long time ago, probably a good 500 more years ago. So I wonder kind of what were some of those other times that he might have been tempted to use his blood and change the future. A big one for me, it actually sounds like the plot of a Stephen King novel or something, was after his wife died, he must have been tempted to bring her back. And it seems like he chose not to. And I'm sure he had his reasons. And instead, he chose to uh, end the war and write the laws. It's kind of like wondering about what are the rules of mystical powers anyway. If you got a genie and you got one wish, why wouldn't you wish for a thousand more wishes? Was there something preventing Trick from writing that his wife, Isabeau, didn't die and was alive? You know, is that is that not allowed? Well, I think definitely there's the suggestion that there's huge, huge consequences to him writing in his blood. Could we get the consequence of him using his blood at the end of season one to help Bo was the Garuda came. So definitely that keeps him in check to some extent. But yeah, he seemed to really love his wife. So I, I do wonder kind of what that was like for him to make that decision not to use his blood to to bring her back in some way. Or th- maybe that is beyond the realm of his powers. Maybe he can't reanimate people. He could only maybe control their actions in some way. Dave and Wayne over on the Fatalist podcast, they did a, an episode about Trick recently. And I don't remember which one of them. It was either Dave or Wayne. They, they made the comparison of of trick to an addict with his little kit that he uses to to write in his blood and sort of the ceremony that he goes through cutting his hand and filling the little well and writing in his blood and I, i really liked that analogy i hadn't thought of it before but i think it's very appropriate as to how trick seems to feel about using those tools i think it was wayne who compared his kit to the works that a heroin addict would have right well it does look like that when i first saw it i'm all huh That's an interesting little drug kit. But I think it's interesting how Trick says, I have got books and books filled with my blood and there's always been terrible consequences. And you see, he's got like two or three books that he throws down on the desk. And you wonder how many times he's literally changed history for the Fae, for humans. I think it was during all those times that he maybe um, is just really terrified of using his powers, not just that he doesn't want to use them. He's uh, more terrified of the consequences than of sort of relishing in the power that he has. Well, and it's a good thing that there are terrible consequences, because it occurs to me that if any one person or fae who was basically immortal also had the power to change events and history and anything just by writing in it. I mean, even though it is an intense thing to cut your hand open and draw enough blood, there would be, I think, pretty quickly little point left in living or striving for anything because you could have anything you wanted whenever you wanted it. If you didn't like the way something went or choices other people made, you could simply write it a different way. And there wouldn't be any challenges or anything to strive for. And I think that bad consequences probably help trick or any other blood fay, I guess, keep their, um, well, what's the word? It's not humanity, but to, to keep themselves in check. And, and I think Annie kind of alluded to this, but something I'm curious about is what were some of the other consequences of trick riding in his blood? I mean, the Garuda was a fairly 
big consequence, it seems like, but that was a fairly big action he took writing the laws and ending the war. So I wonder if the severity of the consequence varies with what he uses his power for, or if it's just all the, every time he uses his blood, something really bad happens. What's all this? Luann's. Well, how did you end up with it? I intervened in her execution. She left to go into hiding this morning. So a question that I have in regards to how he intervened in Luann's execution in Vexed, because we know at the end of the episode he shows up while Luann is, you know, waking up in her body bag and, and she clearly did not die, even though humans thought that she did. And then in Day, he tells Dyson that he intervened in her execution. He's very vague about what he actually did. And so I'm wondering if he used his abilities in some way. They suggest that he didn't write in his blood. But is there some other aspect to his blood sage abilities that he used in that situation? Maybe he had a hypodermic needle and, you know, injected. Uh, he stole something from Lauren's lab. It. Yeah. <laughs> There's that close-up of the, the you know, the deadly cocktail going into, you know, whatever tubes that go into Luann's body, and her, like, her eyes get really big. And yes, that, that could be just sort of the process of killing somebody by lethal injection, but it also suggests to me that maybe Trick put something in the drugs. Maybe it was his blood, the old bait and switch. Maybe, or maybe he didn't use his blood at all. Maybe he just... He intervened in some other way. Maybe he paid a human to change the drug cocktail to just knock Luann out. Maybe he got another fae to intervene. But if it was another fae, does that mean he worked with a dark fae? Because Luann was dark fae. So still some some interesting questions around Luann's execution for me. Well, what's so important about Trick anyway? Yes, he lets you drink for free. It's hardly worth you putting your lives, and more importantly... My life on the line. Trick is the architect of the piece. <laughs> You're trying to tell me that imp is the blood king. I never touch this. So I was trying to do some research on Trick's abilities, and this seems to be the one fae that we've encountered on the show, at least to my knowledge that I can't find big evidence of in mythology itself. It's possible it's out there and it's maybe kind of a, a unusual mythological creature, but in my research, I wasn't able to find something called a blood sage or even something called a blood king. I even tried to do some searching on determining the future writing in your blood, and I just wasn't able to find anything. Do you all know of anything? Mm, not that I know of. But Not from mythology, no. The only other thing that came to mind, I mean, I don't know of any mythological creatures that can write in their blood, but just the concept from, you know, people becoming blood siblings or the phrase like writing it in your blood is kind of similar to etching something in stone. Maybe it's not a mythological creature at all. Or, or, you know, like a blood bond, like just pricking your finger or your wrist and joining your blood to symbolize togetherness or eternity, that kind of very strong mystical blood bond. 
Well, I just know that in in previous interviews, the creators have talked about how they they really do do try to draw on actual mythological creatures. So that's why I was trying really hard to find something. But I remembered my partner mentioned that in pagan practice, it's not an an unusual practice to to have this idea that if you write something down in blood, it abu- it imbues it with your power. So it could be they might have seen some research about that and because pagan practice is, is drawn a lot from ancient traditions, including the ones that would, would incorporate mythology. So maybe the writer saw something about that and that's kind of what they, they gave them the idea for Trick's ability. I don't know, just guessing, but I, th- I thought it was interesting that I, I really wasn't able to find anything about that. But if anybody who's listening knows of some sort of mythological creature where that is their, or mythological figure where that is their ability, please let us know. You can, you can leave a comment on the show notes. To the Blood King and all you've sacrificed. Please don't ever call me that. So we've talked about this a little bit already, but as far as Trick's reign as the Blood King, we really know nothing except that it per- ended poorly, and he had to say the least uh, divide the Fey into light and dark, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. To say the least, it ended poorly. So my one of my big questions, which we kind of talked about, is how did Trick become the Blood King? Was it a birthright? Well, I think that it, my opinion, I guess, is that, that it probably was a birthright. And I, I don't have much to go on other than his name. So whether he is son of Patrick without being illegitimate or son of Patrick and illegitimate, depending on why the Fitz is in front of his name and whether it was his last name or not. It seems like the concept of kingship is hereditary. And so I guess I'm assuming that his father was also a ruler. Maybe, maybe it wasn't a birthright at all. Maybe it was a coup. I don't, I don't know though. A coup doesn't seem to fit in with Trick's personality, although it would be pretty easy for someone who can control events with his blood to take a kingship away if it was, you know, belonging to somebody else and if it was hereditary. But I don't know. Trick seems like he's got a lot of authority about him and he voluntarily gave it up. And, you know, he's got a very developed sense of the greater good and justice. And I feel like those qualities are probably someone who was raised from birth to be a ruler and not something that an usurper would voluntarily give up power. Yeah, I agree. I think what from what we know of Trick, I don't think it's likely that he would have been somebody to lead a coup. I think probably it was something he inherited. It's interesting to think if he maybe was the Ill- illegitimate son of the previous ruler, perhaps that led to the unrest, which eventually led to him having to divide them into light and dark fey. Maybe there were supporters of him and then people who didn't support him because he wasn't of the bloodline and his his father had appointed him heir even though he wasn't a legitimate son. I think it's so hard to unravel because it's all based on conjecture and little bits and pieces mostly from you know, the end of season two, where we see the flashback. I think whether or not he was a legitimate son or not, he took it upon himself with a lot of great deal of responsibility and a great deal of wanting to do the right thing. But uh, I don't think it's always worked out the way he's wanted to, obviously. Yeah, I think um, what he got passed down 
he didn't necessarily have a choice in that he he didn't write those laws. I think they've been passed down for thousands and thousands of years because the Fey have such a long and storied history that they're very good at sticking to their rules and they don't like change. I think they do say specifically, though, that the Blood King wrote the laws. So it's possible there were some that maybe were in place before Trick wrote in blood, but it, it they insinuate that he at least came up with the system that divides the Fae at the moment. And so it's interesting to me because when we were preparing for this episode, Sally made a point that Trick probably was the one who kind of invented the stag hunt that we see at the beginning of season two to select new Ash, which is kind of a harsh thing to have people hunt down a fae and kill them. And to think of Trick, who I think of as generally fairly kindly, to have come up with this rather brutal ritual, or at least to have made that the ritual that they used to to select the ash, it was a little jarring to think of Trick having come up with that rule. You know, the the stag thing was the example that seemed the most glaring, because the ritual involved in killing somebody to decide the next uh, leader of the light or dark, you know, it kind of, I was thinking like, what's wrong with just a secret ballot, you know, maybe <laughs> 2000 years ago, that's not how they did it, but it seems just, it's brutal. And the other thing about the light and the dark, the Ash and the Morrigan are the leaders of each side. And it seems like on each side, at least looking from the outside, they each sort of get to do whatever they want. Maybe there are more structures in place around the ash. It seemed like there are lots of fey elders pulling strings that he has to get on board. Same thing too with the Morgan, but she also seems to give herself free reign to kill anybody or torture anybody. And there doesn't seem to be a check on her power, at least, you know, the power that she exerts on people who are less powerful than her. If Trick created that system, too, maybe it was too much to create a system that protected some people, and maybe the concept of individual rights wasn't well-developed back then. But I don't know. Books and books, I guess there's a limit to how many pints of blood are in a system. (laughs) He stopped when he ran out of blood. (laughs) Right. When he felt a little faint. Since we are talking about Trick maybe being a little crueler than we tend to think of him as we see him now on the show, what is sort of our perspective of how Trick was as a leader? Like, what kind of of ruler do you think he was? Because we've gotten some hints that he might have been a little cruel, especially in, in the way that he treated Aifa. You know, was that just him being heartless or was he really just trying to act out of what he thought was the greater good? I think that the most direct way that we as viewers get to witness Trick as a king is through the flashbacks while the Garuda plotline is brewing. And especially, I mean, it's a crisis situation and it was very tense, but Trick also seemed arrogant and secretive. And I didn't see him building a lot of consensus. And in fact, his own wife decided that she thought he was on the wrong track and, you know, went to go and try and broker her own piece. And that didn't work out so well. But from witnessing him in action during the crisis, I extrapolate that that may have been how he conducted his kingship through, you know, the majority of it or, or the recency of it leading up to the war. And 
I think that we see Trick much more often in his current role as a bartender at the Doll and dispenser of knowledge and wisdom and coaching and still pulling strings behind the scenes. But it seems like he's learned a lot from that experience of losing his wife and losing the war and having to basically pull the escape hatch or the safety valve or bail out of the plane and, you know, do the ultimate thing, which is stop everything by writing laws in his blood. So he probably did the best he could at the time, but I think that we have evidence that he was arrogant. We all love Kenzie, but make no mistake, she's not one of us. That's harsh. Nobody said this would be easy. So what do I do? You step up. You do what you have to do. Even if it's more than you can bear. Especially in season three, we see him sort of being a mentor to Hale and helping to shape a new ruler. And it's it's interesting to sort of think about... Uh, like you mentioned, Sally, kind of his evolution from what what he learned from his experience from maybe being a little bit arrogant and how he wrote the laws and now how he's approaching his training with Hale. I think maybe it suggested he still has a little bit more to learn. He has he has Hale be a little a little mean, I think. <laughs> well, it's true that Hale's mean to Kenzie, but I guess as devil's advocate, you know, it is true that um, Kenzie interrupted an important meeting. What I really took from that was that it was about leadership and hard decisions and tough decisions, especially when your decisions negatively impact people who you love. And when Trick was telling Hale, you know, you've got to step up and do it anyway. I mean, you know, he I think he was clearly remembering his decisions and how it led to his wife's death. And, you know, he was remembering, I think, from his own experience and He does encourage Hale, I think, to be mean. And, you know, I think all of us kind of look at that and we think like, Hale, could you just please, you know, take a step back and talk to Kenzie for real, right? But, you know, I think that for the storyline anyway, the parallel between Hale having to develop a tougher edge because he's in charge now mirrors what Trick learned through bitter experience. I think I agree with you. I think when Trick was a ruler, he... He didn't take advice from his counsel that, and just because he's doing his version of the greater good. And I think it just manifested itself also in sacrificing Apha. What's the greater sacrifice, his daughter or ending the war? And it makes me wonder about the future going forward. Would he learn from his mistakes? Would he always say to like, hail, you know, that he has to treat Kenzie a certain way because, again, it's for the greater good. It's for the greater good of the Fae. And, you know, we have to do what we can, you know, I think he says something like, you know, you have to do what's right, even if it's more than you can bear. And I think that really describes Trick to a T sometimes, that he always has to do the right thing as much as it hurts him. But I wonder, would he sacrifice Bo in the future? Would he learn from his past mistakes? I don't know. I think Bo came out of nowhere and she's been a game changer for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Refusing to choose, challenging conventional wisdom. I think that we've seen her challenge Trick a lot to go outside of his comfort zone. Rick Helen described him as a big rule follower. And, you know, that seems like a pretty big component of most of the Fae until Bo comes along and 
creates a lot of waves for everyone. And she's a really disruptive force, especially for Trick, because she's related to him. But I think we've also seen that she kind of makes him change what he would otherwise maybe have done and question either his actions or his motivations. She also, I think, serves as a bit of a foil to his, you know, you have to do what's right, even if it's more than you can bear. You know, I think that what Bo does a lot is she rejects that. She wants to have her cake and eat it too. You know, the example that came to mind is when she was in the temple during the dawning, Dyson and was supposed to stay and die. He was the hand and that's the deal. She was like, no, forget it. I don't accept that. He's coming with me. She draws, what was it? Uh, was it a rune, her little escape hatch or, or something else? It really looked like the pie sign with a circle around it. Exactly. So maybe it was like advanced math. She was folding space to escape the temple. Bo can now <laughs> fold the space time continuum as well. I think for Bo, leaving Dyson there to die would have been more than she could bear. But Trick would have said, hey, this is the deal. Dyson knew what he was signing up for when he volunteered to be your hand. And Bo probably would have said right back, and she said through actions, I don't accept this. And I think that she continually surprises people, including Trick. And I think that, you know, she's helping to change the way that he thinks. And I think it's a, a good thing. She's a disruptive force, but it's slow going too. You can't change someone who's been alive for 2000 years in just three years, but it's pretty remarkable. I'm kind of wondering after Trick left his throne as Blood King, we, you know, we know that he's probably been in hiding since then, or at least not going around advertising, hey, I was the Blood King. But I wonder exactly what he did once he left the throne and then took up residence at the doll because clearly that he did more stuff in between those two points because we we learn from when he goes and he visits his old girlfriend in Baromet's trick pressure that they at least traveled some and and maybe he was more of a man of the world for a period before he settled down as as keeper of the way station so i'm curious what exactly he did during that time period i would love to see Maybe some a flashback or something or some reference to, to what he might have might have done. Or I think he and Dyson might have traveled the world together since Dyson knows so much of his history. I think him being in the way station was a really smart move for Trick because he could keep an eye on the Fae. He could make sure the Fae stayed hidden from humans. He could be the moderator and still pull the strings behind the scenes. And, you know, I assume he's been at that bar for quite a while, at least a hundred years, something like that. But, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he did before he got the bar. Peace demands forgiveness. And in every war, there are those who find it too dear a price. Your mother led a small rebellion. She killed one of the dark fake clan leaders. She was caught. But she escaped. She came to me. I could have shot her, but that would have restarted the war. So we've been talking about this kind of throughout the episode, but let's talk a little bit about Trick and his relationship with others. And I think my big question that I have about Trick is what exactly happened between Trick and Aifa? Because we, we learn in that he turned Aifa over to the leader of the, the other side. We don't know exactly who's Bo father, who's, who Bo's father is quite yet, but it is implied that that it was her captor. And yet, Trick seems to know quite a bit about Bo's birth. 
but presumably at this point he had cut ties from her, from Afa. So how does he know that? Was was maybe he involved some way in helping Afa escape her captor? The whole scenario is really disturbing. Turning your daughter over, even if she is a troublemaker and she's trying to destroy the peace, and then he he does say, you know, Luann was the midwife at Bo's birth. He knows for sure that Aoife was pregnant. He can certainly extrapolate probably how she became pregnant, which was probably by something that may not have been her consent. And I think that the thing that probably seems like the most redeeming storyline for Trick in that instance is that once he realized that Aoife had been kept captive and tortured and impregnated against her will and raped and driven insane... Maybe he decided to help her escape and go to a halfway house, and maybe then she escaped that if it was minimum security or something like that. He at least seemed to make sure that Bo got away and was raised by someone else. I think that's the only scenario that I can think of that really kind of makes me feel at least a little bit better, was that maybe he didn't know the extent of Aoife's harsh treatment by the Dark King. So something I feel like was never really addressed very well on the show was Bo's reaction to finding out that Trick was her grandfather because she seems a little annoyed with him but she never we never see really her confronting him why didn't you tell me we never really see her confront him about the fact that he turned her mother over to a very bad man and led to her being assaulted because he was he he owned up to the fact that that was his fault but at the time Bo didn't know that Afa was his daughter. And personally, to me, when I learned that, I, I would maybe rethink, how could you do that to your own child? <laughs> but we never really see Bo confront Trick about those things. Yeah, I always thought that was a missing piece. When Trick told her that she asks, are you my father? And he says, no, I'm your grandfather. And Bo just seems really delighted, which in a sense is really great for Bo considering her background because she always felt like she hasn't belonged, she doesn't have family, but to find this biological connection so he can answer some of her questions is really a great thing for her. But on the other hand, it's really kind of frustrating from an audience perspective because there's so many times during the series where Trick says to Bo, Bo asks Trick, okay, have you told me everything? And he says, yes, that's everything. And then five, six episodes later or next season later, no, I have this other big revelation. So it's, <laughs> I just feel like Trick's never going to be done with secrets more than any other character on the show. And I wonder if Bo's just going to get to the point where she doesn't trust him. I think almost, uh, sometimes I as an audience member, I don't trust him anymore. I'm just like, nope. And I think you bring up a good point, Annie, a question about why Trick chose to be so secretive about his relationship with Bo when she first appeared. Why did it take him so long to reveal himself? I think that as a viewer, I wanted to see Trick get a little comeuppance from Bo about holding out on her for so long. Two years, you know, when he could have been helping her and explaining things to her. And I think the reason he didn't was that he was evaluating her think he wanted to see what sort of person she was and if she was going to be an unstable character like her mother or dedicated to restoring the war and getting rid of, you know, the light and dark and the and the rules and restrictions. And I think that if Bo hadn't measured up, then I don't think Trick would have hesitated to feed her to the wolves. You know, in the very first episode when he was talking to the Ash and the Morrigan, 
He did say there may come a time when she needs to be put down, but let's wait and see for a bit. And, you know, I think part of that was maybe a put on for the ash in the Morgan, like not to let on, you know, this is my granddaughter. So maybe you could cut her a break because they certainly wouldn't have. But so he himself could do that evaluation and decide whether or not to keep her around. I don't know. Sometimes I think that Trick was kind of serious in saying that line of she may need to be put down. That's what's kind of scary about him. You don't know his true intentions. Everything he says could be taken a couple different ways because he's so good at hiding the truth or putting half-truths out there or finally revealing the whole truth. And again, you know, it raises the question if the whole Fey world was going to hell, and if Bo is the only one who could save it by her sacrifice, would Trick contribute to that? How are we having this conversation without booze? Her guide, uh, the Lodestar. Stella. She's the best. And quite the looker, too. Don't worry. Bo will make it through this. There will be a long term. Promise? Just do your shot. Another relationship which seems to be really rich, but we don't know much history of it, is the relationship between Trick and Dyson. And I would love to know more about their relationship because Dyson has, we know, served many kings. So even if he had served under Trick when Trick was the Blood King, what is it about Trick that Dyson remains so loyal to him? What what happened? It seems like maybe something happened between the two of them that really secured Dyson's loyalty in a, in a very special way to Trick. Well, he could have saved someone he loved, yeah, done something of that magnitude that was really important to him. Yeah, I mean, in the flashbacks when we see Dyson living with all of his wolf brethren and eventually deciding that he wasn't going to be loyal to whatever bad king that he was serving who made the terrible decision and his friend ended up dead. I'm not quite clear on whether Dyson just sort of was a nomad for a while and wasn't aligned to any king or if he, you know, served a series of other rulers and then eventually happened upon Trick. When we see the tattoo on Dyson's back, he mentions that it includes names of kings that he served. So he does imply that he's served multiple kings. So I guess maybe it could have been the two, the bad king and Trick. But I think they they do imply that he probably served more than just those two. I've got to think that Dyson and Trick recognized something in each other that was probably fundamentally good. And I think that Trick's intentions are good, even if some of his methods seem harsh or questionable. He does have the greater good in mind. And I think, you know, Dyson is committed to that too. And he seems like a, a loyal friend and a loyal supporter. So I guess I think that these two men probably met and uh, realized uh, mutual respect and affinity. And then also something deeper, which is they're both committed to the concept of a greater good. I should say that Dyson is clearly very loyal to Trick, but Trick clearly has a great affinity for Dyson. And I think we really see evidence of that at the end of season three in Hail Hail, after Dyson has been poisoned and kidnapped, Trick is super angry when he is threatening the bartender who poisoned him. I don't think we've 
ever seen Trek quite that angry. But when he knows that Dyson is in, in danger, he, he's really upset. So I, I do think that he does care for, Di- for Dyson quite, quite deeply. Kind of leads to a question that I don't really understand. Why did Trick initially disapprove of Dyson's relationship with Bo? Because it seemed like after a while he changed his mind, but he definitely uh, was not on board when Dyson and Bo were first hooking up. Getting to what you mentioned about maybe he was sussing Bo out, it could be that he wasn't quite sure how Bo might react if he was worried she might turn out like Aoife. Maybe oh. for, for Dyson's sake, he didn't want her getting involved, didn't want him getting involved with Bo. It might also been a little bit of, that's my granddaughter, mister. You know, but but yeah, it's a good question why he was he was initially very, very hesitant, but now seems to be like, yeah, sure, buddy, don't worry about it. That's brilliant. I had always assumed that it was more like, stay away from my granddaughter. And, and you know, he he doesn't want Dyson, someone he cares about, someone you could almost call a surrogate son, to be with Bo when he doesn't know everything that Bo is capable of, or for Bo to turn Dyson into one of her thralls, you know, without Bo even realizing what she's doing, because she doesn't have full control and understanding of her powers. So could have been a combination of all of those things. So a new relationship we see Trick build here in season three was was his relationship with Stella. And we've talked a little bit on this show before about how much we appreciated seeing him get a love interest, given that he's an older character and often older characters don't tend to get love interests, at least not love interests that are like him and Stella. I wonder what it is now about Stella that really makes Trick enter into a relationship with her that seems to be more than any other relationship he's mentioned or might have had in the past since his wife died. I'm always thinking that Trick has let go in a bit, that he's been able to move on in the sense that he feels free that he can be with somebody else and that he's let go maybe of some of the guilt of letting his wife die the way she did or not being able to prevent it. So it's good to see kind of a happier, friskier side of Trick. Oh, has Lauren Lauren's human. Their relationship can only be short-term. So something that Annie alluded to earlier is in season three, we we definitely see Trick and his anti-human sentiment coming out very strongly. So a question to me is like, what what does Trick really think of humans? Because he, he has some affectionate relation. He has an affectionate relationship with Kenzie. I think he has... He admires Lauren. I actually was reminded recently that in the first episode of season three, Trick actually comes to Lauren's defense uh, to Kenzie. He he mentions that Lauren is no slouch when it comes to difficult situations. So he he definitely can form affectionate working and working relationships with humans, but he definitely has some some not very pleasant ideas about humans. I don't know. I think it's twofold with him. I think. Well, first, I think with Kenzie, I think she has such a unique way of worming her way into people's hearts and getting what she wants. And, you know, she's a con artist, but she's a very genuine human being under that. So there's that part of it. And then Trick, he respects the humans enough not to just literally eat them or throw them, you know, all to the ash and go enslave them, do what you want. You know, in the episode, uh, I think it's 203, when Lauren gets taken back by uh, the Ash, and he assures Bo, he says, I have, you know, ears in many places, and 
you know, Lawrence be taken care of. But I think maybe it's just, it's always that greater good thing with Trick. When you have this overarching greater good, you know, whether it's a war coming or the whole thing with the dawning, when you have these bigger overarching storylines that kind of takes over his whole persona and his whole mentality of, and he gets very focused on the goal. He says, this is what I'm going to do, regardless of the cost, regardless of the cost to most friends. He just remains very focused on that, regardless of who it inconveniences. Originally, I was kind of put off by Trick's, what I thought was Trick's anti-human bias. And, you know, in kind of thinking about it more, you know, I wasn't so sure that I hold it against him. And I think that, you know, my bias is obviously to identify with the humans, but I was especially thinking about everything that Trick's been through and how that's shaped his actions and his personality. You know, I think that he's been alive continuously for 2000 years, if not longer, but about that long. And he's seen probably the best and the worst of the human world. I'm not sure how much attention he's paid to all of it, but you know, we were talking about the bloody laws and the bloodthirsty way the Fae seem to conduct their government, you know, and I'm not sure that it's only maybe relatively recently that uh, we as humans have started to make significant strides away from it. And Trix witnessed probably human wars and genocide and the last 2000 years have not all been a bed of roses for humanity or really kind of like set humanity on any sort of pedestal that would be better than how the Fae have behaved. We know that the Fae live in a world that's hidden from humans. Living like that, even if you're hiding from someone who maybe is not more powerful than you, I think can create sort of, I would call it a bunker mentality, you know, or a protective mentality. You know, I think that kind of combining that with observing humans in all of their not-so-glorious glory, Trick's taking care of his own. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. I think he does his best not to indiscriminately kill the humans, but I'm not holding it against him as much as I used to. There is this really good, I'll call it a blog post, it's written on Tumblr, a Tumblr post that was written about Trick. And I know it's been linked to on Twitter several times. So it's possible that you've read it already. But if you hadn't, you should go take a look because it's some really good theorizing about Trick. And the writer poses the hypothesis of what if the writers are setting up Trick to be the big bad of the show? And she has a a very, a more complicated analysis of that hypothesis. But the, the section that I really find interesting and it's i think it's kind of the the heart of her her argument is that trick really represents everything that bo is against and the writer says this scratch the surface and trick stands for literally everything bo rails about he's a traditionalist father knows best patriarchal arrogant old guard fay who one doesn't think a whole lot of humans beyond a kind of old-fashioned colonial chauvinist oh don't be cruel to them edgar it's not their fault they're humans kind of way Two, never accepts a burden of guilt for the fallout of his choices. Bo may not live in a constant hair shirt, which basically means she's she feels guilty all the time. But the burden of the damage she's not 
she's done manifests itself in her massively heightened sense of empathy and deep insecurities about her place in the world. Three, did everything he could to keep Bo from the one thing she was desperate for, knowledge of her family origins, until it suited his purposes. Four, created the light-dark dichotomy that Bo hates so much. And finally, the biggie, number five, did so by suspending everybody's free will, their capacity to choose, to suit himself. Stepping back as Blood King didn't mean his power tripping was over. It simply wasn't necessary to take further action to sustain it. After all, everything was going as it should, i.e. as he wanted it. Now, I do kind of disagree with her in regards to number two, about never accepting a burden of guilt for the fallout of his choices. I think we do see him feel guilty about choices that he's made in the past, so I don't know if I quite 100% agree with her there. We don't see him feel as guilty about some of the choices he makes during the series, but I think he does make he does feel guilty about choices that he's made in the past. But overall, I think it's a really good blog post, and you should check it out. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. I, I just was really intrigued by her, by that analysis of, of how Trick really stands against what Bo is, is arguing for. Well, I think it's such an interesting dichotomy that was brought up that way. And to, like, theorize that Trick is quote-unquote evil, you know, the one really pulling the strings, that would really turn the show on its head if it was revealed. Yeah, I don't really agree that Trick doesn't regret any of his actions. I think he's still, you know, we see in the end of season two and in um, 2.13 that Trick is still terribly regretful that his wife died. And he's a deeply feeling character. Um, I think that's one of the um, great things about Rick Howland's performance is that, you know, he does portray that anguish coupled with the sense of responsibility and that he always has to balance them both. You know, I th- what I took from reading this blog post was that Trick is sort of the embodiment of the establishment, and Bo is anti-establishment for lots of reasons and in lots of ways. You know, the establishment has not been kind to her, but it also reminds me of how um, they say that children rebel against their parents, and so... You know, in the in the old sitcom Family Ties, you know, the ex-hippies, Elise and Michael Keaton, you know, their son, Alex P. Keaton, was a buttoned-up Republican who, you know, all of his values were diametrically opposed to theirs. And yet they still had, you know, I think a warm familial relationship. And I think that where the bow and trick relationship is headed is it's definitely it's not a conclusion that I had come to myself, but I think that whoever wrote this blog post is really onto something with trick as, you know, embodiment of the old way and the establishment. But I think that rather than him ending up being truly evil, what's going to happen is Bo, as she continues to evolve herself is having an effect on the people around her and making them think hard about the way that they've been living their lives. And, I think that she's having a profound effect on Trick. And hopefully what ends up happening is that a lot of these things that that maybe are the old way and not the best way anymore, Bo will help Trick be able to see his way towards consciously discarding and adopting a new way. So we've talked a little bit, or at least Annie's talked a little bit about what we like about what Rick Howland brings to Trick. But let's let's talk a little bit about Rick Howland because I think Rick brings a lot to his character. And the thing that I really appreciate 
some of the things I really appreciate about Rick Allen is that I think he he plays this tension between Trick as as kindly caring because he is a very I think caring character to to Bo and to Kenzie especially but this tension between that aspect of Trick and his really like manipulative side I think he plays the tension between those two sides of Trick's personality really well. I mean, certainly we just have an entire episode about all of the questions that we want answers about Trick. He clearly keeps us guessing in the way that he he plays Trick's intentions. And I also like that he brings kind of this undercurrent of danger to Trick. Like, you're never... He, he, he can be, like, really kindly in a second, and then I think he might strangle somebody. He does this a lot, I think, through through his physicality, which I think he uses really well. Like, uh, <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite trick lines is when he says, did my troll get out? And you can totally <laughs> tell the way that, tr- that Rick Allen is standing, like... Trick was going to take care of things. If his troll had gotten out, he could handle that situation, you know? <laughs> and I also really like his physical presence that he brings to, like, when Trick is struggling with with using his blood. Even though he doesn't have a lot of dialogue in those scenes, you can really tell by the way he holds his body and his body language what a struggle it is for him. There are a couple of several things that I appreciate about him. One of them yeah, kind of echoes what you just said, Stephanie, about the tension that he plays. You know, I think that his range as an actor is is pretty great because I, you know, believe and see that when he's being compassionate towards Bo or Kenzie or whomever, you know, I believe, you know, that he cares about this person and wants to protect them and, you know, isn't going to let anyone hurt them. And then when he has also, when he's angry or when he's talking about making difficult choices, I have gotten chills when I've watched him deliver a line and, you know, I believe that this character would not hesitate to cut off my head if I was in the way. And that's, that's very good range. Something else that I, I learned about Rick Hallen, you know, is that he's also a singer-songwriter and he has two self-released albums on iTunes. I think that's totally cool because I love music. And I just get a sense from watching his interviews that he has he gets a lot of joy from his life and the things that he, the ways that he chooses to spend his time. I think that comes through in his portrayal of trick. If you live for 2000 years, you're either awesome and wise or you're full of ennui. And I think that the zest that Rick Howland has for life really comes through in how he plays trick. I really like Rick's portrayal just, Again, the dichotomy. And the, the one scene that I always remember is at the end of um, season two, when he's really anguished and he doesn't know what the Garuda is showing him about his wife dying. And he says, I didn't know. And he's crying. Again, just shows that how Trick as a leader has made such a sacrifice. But, you know, at the same time, he's got that very stern, these are the rules that I will follow. You know, when he says that line in season three, you have to do what you can do, even if it's more than you can bear. And you're just like, God, Rick can just play it both ways. He can be such a hard ass and yet be such a compassionate man at the same time. And um, he can do humor really well. So he can play it really on an edge and really do it with dry humor or just, you know, I love that line when it, so many glasses must polish when (laughs) he asks, Bo and Lauren, what they're doing that night, and I just died laughing. Yeah, I I like that 
he got to be a little more humorous this season. I think both in in Subterfanian when he was dealing with that that woman who was coming on to him and he was just not interested. Uh, uh, he oh, he yeah. got to be he got to use some of his his comedic skills this season more than more than usual and because i think rick is actually i think he has improv training and he might even be part of an improv troupe still i think he was at some point so i I was glad he got to be a little more funny got to use some of his comedic abilities and i would love to see him sing or something on the show at some point i would i would love for them to use that skill that he has I think that's going to wrap up our discussion for today. We still have lots of questions, but thank you, Sally, for being here and helping us puzzle out some of the mysteries surrounding Trick. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. I I loved it. We are still looking for guest contributors for our upcoming episodes about Hale, Vex and the Morrigan, and Kiara and Nadia. Kiara and Nadia are a new pair I've added to the list because I decided that I really wanted to talk about them, so I'm throwing them out there. If you're interested in being a contributor on one of those episodes, there will be more information in the show notes. And even if you're not interested in being a contributor, we would love to hear your feedback. What did you think about the content of this episode? What topics would you like for us to cover in future episodes. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode, episode 12, which are available at drinksatthedoll.com. You can send us a voice message through your computer or mobile device by clicking on the send a voice message link at the end of the show notes. You can also email us at feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. Thank you for joining us for Drinks at the Doll. I'm Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.